Twenty-two men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History of Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. And you can find us on the web at com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host He's a senior Contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine A football member by a historian Specializing in pre-World War II items In particular Red Grange And also Seattle Seahawk items In particular Steve Larson He hails From Portland Oregon Mr. Joe Square, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Ah, Captain, so happy to be on again. I love it. Can you smell it? Auction season is upon us, my friend. To say the least. To say the least. But we're going to lead off talking about uh, some incredible unopened material that seems to be coming out of nowhere and everywhere in the market today. And I'm going to lead off by saying that there's, there's one thing I, I am just totally, totally in shock at, that the 1988 Topps Wax Box is now going for well over $100, $150 a box, if not more, with the BBCE seal. Yep. Sell-up. And you and me I, both, I, 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 my, You know, I'm just dumbfounded by a wax box, which I could have cornered the market here in Connecticut at $5 a box <laughs> back in the early 90s and just filled up the compound with them and just sell off now and, and, and just whatever. I don't understand what's going on. I really I don't. I don't. I've been in the hobby a long time. I've yeah. seen a lot of different trends, a lot of different things that, that have happened since 1988. But I, I'm just dumbfounded 
by the price of a wax box of 1988 football. I'll yeah. hand off to you now. Yeah, I, I think I've told you this story. I was on the old CU chat rooms once, and a guy in Seattle was selling, I don't even remember how many boxes, you know, call it 200 boxes of 88 top, wow. you know, wax. And he was wanting five bucks each for them. The problem was, is they weighed too much. So it was $7 in shipping and no one was taking, uh, taking it. So I live in Portland, you know, which is about three hours south of Seattle. So I just, I PM'd him and hey, how about we meet midway between Seattle and Portland, which is a city oddly enough called Centralia, uh, you know, center point. And uh, how about we meet there, grab a burger and I'll, I'll pay you for him. He's like, yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize how much, you know, 200-plus boxes of wax weighed. I took my old Ford Bronco up there and moving all this stuff over to it. And uh, it looked like a pregnant rat driving down the road. Just the Ford Bronco was just heavy in the back. It was just, it was a lot. It was dragging. Uh, and I bought. You were dragging. I, I don't even remember, but 200 boxes, call it. And I was trying to build an all-PSA 10 88 top set for some unknown oh, reason. Lord. And, uh, I was I was opening wax after wax. I must have opened fifty boxes until I got tired of opening eighty eight, and uh, and then sold a few, kept a few, gave a few away, and uh, and literally was down to about twenty boxes at one point, and, and then sold them for about ten dollars each. Yeah, and I, if if I had if I had a crystal ball too, two hundred boxes, I'd be loading them up into that you know that truck and heading down to BBC, you know BBCE to get them all sealed and just leave them there. Hey, sell these. So, but yeah, it's stunning to see 88 tops wax go for a hundred bucks a box. That's, that's incredible. Um, uh, I, I used to collect wax a lot back when, you know, 84 tops football was, you know, 450 a box, you know, 79, you know, and it's just, and then we had a guest on the show probably 10 years ago, Mike Ciceroni, I believe his last day, I can't yep. forget his last yep. name, but yep. we had two yep. guests back to back talking about the proliferation of, resealed wax and et cetera. And this is before BBC Eve, you know, really took off. They were there, but it wasn't as prevalent. And, uh, and just after hearing about all this resealed stuff, I just, I sold most of my stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. I was just so frustrated at the hobby. I, I guess be finding out if you like, you collect autographs and you found out most of these were forged, uh, sold a bunch of it. And I even had some, um, uh, I think I brought this up when we had Steve Hart at BBC and I had some BBC sealed boxes that I sent to, you know, to a you know, consigner to sell. And Steve Hart noticed that they were fake. So I'd bought it from someone who was resealing, who was shrink wrapping, uh, you know, wax boxes and had made a sticker that looked like the BBC E sticker and then was slapping it on there. The only reason Steve Hart well, noticed is because I think he mentioned on the show, he has a, you know, a, a, a woman who does this quality control and it's her handwriting on all yep. of the stickers. And he said, he yep. noticed the handwriting was off. Uh, so he pinged my, you know, you know, my, the guy selling this stuff for me and was like, this stuff's fake. And my guy was like, what do you want me to do with it? I'm like, send it to me. Well, what do I do with it? it it's just, and it was just another, you know, punch in the stomach, just, you know, resealed wax is one thing, but somebody who was faking resealed BBC stuff. And, and then I noticed, you know, BBC came out with their holograms, logoed, you know, shrink wrap, and now their stickers have a hologram right. sticker on it with an identification number. Um, it's just, you know, trying to stay one step ahead of the bad guys. But anyways, long story, it's, you know, 
probably about a year ago, I kind of got back into you know into wax, and I've kind of enjoyed it. I love having wax around, and you know, and it's so I've been slowly watching it, but man, there's as you mentioned, there is some wax that is coming out of the woodworks. There's two really big auctions going on right now. Heritage is one; it ends in two days, and just a litany of wax packs, BBC, E, you know, or PSA graded wax packs. Steve Hart has a deal with PSA, as he mentioned on the show, where uh, sure. people submit wax packs to PSA to get graded. PSA sends them to Steve Hart. He authenticates them, sends them back, and then and then PSA seals them. And he has an arrangement with them that he doesn't grade wax packs, only boxes. But there's your beloved, uh, you know, 65 and 66 Philly for si- wax packs for sale. And uh, talk about traveling back in time, Bob. But you remember all that 65 oh, yeah. wax you used to get? Well, a single wax pack of 65 Philly is going for about it. Uh, one sold about a week ago for $1,000. There's another one yep. here yep. that's uh, at, at, at $810, including the buyer's premium. $810. Yep. How much 65 Philly wax did you rip as a young mustachioed child? Probably, realistically, I, I had to have ripped at least 30 to 40 packs back then and mm-hmm. because it was a nickel a pack and i do remember um a couple of weeks i had like a quarter my uncle gave me a quarter i bummed the nickel or a dime my my father inevitably would give me like a dime every week and then <laughs> um, yeah. my uncle who was my favorite uncle at the time died way too young long story short he would always uh give me something if we went over the house there over my aunt's house so he would sneak like a quarter uh, a half dollar, a 50-cent coin, which Ooh. I should have saved those because those were silver, <laughs> and uh, or a dollar bill. If I hit the dollar bill, I couldn't spend the whole dollar bill at, the, at one time. So I would buy maybe three or four packs and then get all the change, and then I knew I had extra change for the next few weeks. But 65, mm. 66, and 67 were my three strongest years of buying wax packs, and I always bought whatever was there football-wise, meaning it was either Tops or Philly. Some weeks it was mm-hmm. only Philly. Some weeks it was only Tops. The weeks that had both, I would split. If I had 20 cents, I'd buy two Tops, two uh, Phillies, and then I would open them. And like I said on the show numerous times, I had no conceptualization that you can make a set out of the cards back then. I just thought they had all these cards and they put them in the wax packs and you just collected like that. I, I had no conceptualization of what the set was, nor did I understand mm. what the checklist was until later on, you know, back in the seven, going into the seventies, I finally understood the concept of the sets and that and the checklist and all that. But anyways, yeah, I could between the 88 tops that I sold, I could have bought if I had just bought every pack and never opened it from 1965 on, uh, I don't think we'd be talking right now because I'd probably be on a Caribbean <laughs> island somewhere, retired completely now, and uh, shut out of uh, of life uh, of, of the outside world. But anyways, I, I getting back to what we were talking about. I, I just don't understand where it's coming from. I really don't. I don't. I can't comprehend it. I don't have a good handle on it. There hasn't been any advertisement of any massive fines lately, and. Is this creep in wax prices going to influence the junk wax era, 90, 91, mm-hmm. 89, 92, 93, 94 for, for football? 
so that a 92 Bowman football box that you could still buy for probably 10 or $15 a box is now all of a sudden a $70, $80 box for whatever reason. It's not going to make sense to me. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I, it just doesn't make sense. It really does not make sense to me. That's all I can say. Well, it's real. My big, my big times of opening wax, you know, 78, 79, uh, 80, you know, 84. Uh, you know, think about it. You know, I've, I've told stories, you know, about going out of the dollar, you know, when wax packs were a quarter. And my, my, my mm-hmm. mom would give my brother and I each a buck. I'd go walk down to the 7-Eleven and buy, you know, wax, and my brother would get something else. And, you know, so think about it. A box of 36 packs of 84 tops, $9.00. It's going three thousand plus right now, you know. And the uh, the wholesale box of the nineteen eighty four tops, and this always sticks out in my mind, was five dollars and eighty cents here locally. So if you went to, <laughs> there used to be a couple of of uh, can, for lack of a better term, candy distributors that sold candy to local stores and stuff. You could actually go in there if you knew somebody, and you could buy a wax box of. Uh, 84, 83 Tops football card price. Fast forward to 86, 87, Tops was notorious for the returns, which had the black markers through them, out through the boxes. Somehow at shows, those boxes would would come to life, and you can get them anywhere from 5 to $10 a box back then because they used to wholesale them back to, at a nickel a pack, um, wow. Back to or to tops, and then or you bought them from tops. I never knew. I never understood how it worked. Yeah. But you, as a candy store, could just return everything to to tops. They give you a credit. Tops would in turn would unload them to like Larry Fritch Carts and a few other places uh, in the country and or regular dealers who actually picked them up, and then somehow surfaced to the local shows where you could find, you know, a, a 19, for example, 1983 Tops wax box. I distinctly remember this. It was a show in 1988. I did up in, outside of Hartford here, which was a pretty popular small show. A guy had three cases of 1983 wax, uh, football wax boxes with a horrific black magic marker line through them all, and he was unloading them at $5 a box. And people oh, wow. were hesitant to buy it because they said, well, there's really nobody in 83 Tops. What are we going to do with it? And I, I just quickly remember I bought a box or two of them just to have them on my on my uh, table. And I was selling probably the packs of 20 cents a pack, whatever, at that time, just to make two, three dollars on the box. So uh, times have changed, to yep. say the least. Well, one of these days, <laughs> I'm going to do a gridiron article of if you would have invested, you know, a you know, a hundred dollars in wax packs in 65, you know, or oh, 84 yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Take, take some of these yeah, years yeah. versus the stock market. Somebody's got to do that. But in the meantime, yeah. you're just seeing this stuff hit the market. I mean, yeah. uh, I, you know, Lord knows what a 65 tops, you know, BBC, you know, you know, authenticated wax pack would go for, I mean, $10,000 probably. As I said, probably $10,000 I mean, easily. Yeah, here you have you 65 Philly going for over a thousand. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Bob. If you if you, if you pull the the name of that of it in nice condition and it grades what a nine or a ten, you got so much yeah, money there. It's not even fun, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. But I mean, 66 Philly going for you know 1,200, 64 Philly, 
you know, in the, you know, 840 range. There's a 63 tops nickel pack at 2,500 right now. 63 tops at 1,700. This stuff is crazy. Uh, 71 tops, uh, you know, a box of 78 tops, you know, 36 packs is at about 3,000 right now. 81 tops wax pack box is 4,700. About three months ago, I picked one up for 3,000. I thought it was a good deal. Uh, so I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm investing in Bitcoin here, uh, some sort of blockchain. <laughs> so. uh, Eighty-four tops with the X out, uh, you know, going for you know twenty-eight hundred. Eighty-six tops uh, with the X out going for forty-seven hundred. There's one in here without wow. the X going for going for forty-nine hundred. That's just in heritage. That ends in two days. Uh, Mile High just opened up yesterday, and uh, man, they they had a grip of of uh, unopened as well. Starting at seventy two series two, which is the you know the wanted series. I mean, it's just two days yep. in. It's already yep. four thousand bucks. You know, seventy five, seventy six tops football wax pack uh, uh, at Love of the Game auction about six months ago had a box of seventy six tops, uh, and it was about. Ten, twelve thousand. I was like, man, that's a lot of yeah. money, but I really like a box of seventy-six tops, and I didn't buy it. Uh, one yeah. sold in REA a couple days ago for uh, for close to twenty-five thousand, and this one's up to wow. ten thousand already. Uh, <laughs> Seventy-seven box, seventy-nine. It's just you're just watching it. It's like watching cars whiz by you on a freeway. It's uh, just. And everybody who's got it, it's coming out of the woodworks, like you mentioned pre-show. Yep. Uh, and then a bunch yep. of wax packs, 60 clear, 57 tops, penny pack. I love the nickel. I prefer the nickel pack of 57 tops. I used to have one of those. Uh, I don't know mm. what it is, but there's always 54 Bowman. You see a lot of 54 Bowman out there, that even the nickel packs. Yeah. yeah. But, I don't, I uh, don't understand. I've never understood. I, I could go back years ago, back to the to shows in the '80s, and I saw 54 Bowman wax yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah, never made sense but, to me. Really, never made sense. What, what What's weird and what has my attention is noticing now the difference between GA, GAI graded packs and PSA because, you know, at a national several years ago, I gave you a 65 Philly pack to open and right. it was GAI graded, and you were you looked up and you're like, this is resealed. And ever since then, yeah. when I see 65 Philly in a GAI, you know, pa- pack, or, a, you know, wax, excuse me, in, you know, in a plastic tomb, I always just shake my head. So just this mistrust of anything GAI now. But man, yeah. Yeah. unopened, unopened. If you got it, check your closet, man. It's out there. Exactly. Well, at this time, our special guest is waiting, and I'd like to introduce him to our audience tonight. Our special guest tonight is a lifelong collector of football cards and memorabilia. He started buying wax packs for the gum, but fell in love with the cards, which he collected and <laughs> traded with his brother. By the time he finished high school, he had amassed more than a dozen complete tops, football sets, and over 12,000 raw cards. As an adult, he expanded his collection to include graded cards, artwork, and memorabilia. He's a passionate Dallas Cowboys fan which is the primary focus of his collection, Walter Payton being the other. The items in his collection reflect these interests, including complete PSA graded collections 
for all 20 players in the Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor. Untorn tickets from Cowboy game-winning Super Bowls, autographed jerseys, lithographs, a sculpture bust of Tom Landry, and even a special Dallas Cowboys edition Ford F-150, of which only 400 (laughs) were made. He also has special collections of Walter Payton cards, where his sets are ranked on the PSA registry as number seven basic set and number five master set. But perhaps the most unique item in his collection is a game-worn Tom Landry fedora that is currently on display at the Dallas Cowboys headquarters. Yeah. I'd like to welcome to the show this evening, Mr. Brian Adams. Bert, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. How are you? Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. I, you, I'm, you I'm doing good as well. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> I was going to wait, Joe, since he introduced me, but I, I, how are you, Joe? <laughs> doing very good. Thank you for asking. Appreciate that. Awesome. Joe, Joe feels left out if, if the guest doesn't say anything. I, I'm, I'm more business-like. Hey, I'm the sidekick so, uh, here. I know my place. Anyways, Brian, I, 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 I you know, studied a lot of the stuff that you have looking at it. I, I'm just completely blown away again by another guest on our show that has, an, a, collection, that has a collection that's just, just to me amazing. So let's lead off by asking, how would you get started collecting football cards from a fan of the Cowboys? Well, so, you know, I, I like a lot of kids. Uh, I started collecting when I was little. My brother and I wanted gum at the checkout line at the grocery store and at the drugstore. And our mom or our dad would buy us some stuff. And, but we, we liked the, the packs of the cards because we liked the cards, but we really wanted the gum. Um, but it didn't take long for the, the interest to switch. And by the time uh, I was in sixth grade, my brother and I had a paper route, and uh, we used the money from all the money we made from the paper route went to buy football cards. And uh, we, we bought baseball cards and some other things as well. But football was always my passion, and, um, you know, we, we started to amass those. But it was all just starting out like a lot of people when we were young just collecting as kids. That's uh that's what usually happens now if you had taken all yeah. those same wax packs as we talked about earlier and not opened them. Uh, you probably have all 400 of the F-150 Dallas Cowboy uh, <laughs> trucks. You would have enough money. Yeah, yeah no kidding. How would you, you become a fan of the Cowboys? Well, so I moved to Dallas in 2001, and uh, I, know I had an interesting uh, pattern that I had observed when I was a kid. So my, my parents met in Southern California. My dad grew up watching US, UCLA basketball and was a huge Bruins fan. But he moved to Bloomington, Indiana, which is where I was born, in 1971. And the first year he was there, Indiana played UCLA in the tournament. And I remember him telling me the story when I was a kid that he had to make a decision on who he was going to root for. And he decided, well, you know, Bloomington's my home now. This is who I'm going to support. Um, when I moved to Dallas, I thought the same thing. I'm, I'm in this community. And, and, again, I was always a fan. When I was a kid, I had a, a little uh, white plastic football that I played with in the backyard of my brother that had a Cowboy star on it. And I'd always liked him. I remember watching Tony Dorsett run the 99-year-old by touchdown on Monday Night Football when I was a kid. I mean, the Cowboys were a big deal everywhere. Um, Walter Payton was my hero growing up, and, and I loved the Bears for a long time. But when I moved to Dallas in 2001, um, I, I went all in, and I've never looked back. So since then, I've, I've gone from, you know, 
being a fan from afar to being an obsessed memorabilia collector, card collector, season ticket holder, um, and then now a direct relationship with the Cowboys through some of the things that I've acquired. But it was mostly geography that took me from being a fan to a super fan. Wow. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. I love your passion. Just you, 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 you and I are very similar. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about my Seattle Seahawks and have my favorite players. And you, you, you probably won one up to me here because you, you're, you're so incredibly passionate about the Cowboys. Just you're, you know, steeped in history. I mean, I, nothing in my collection is on display at the Seattle Seahawks, you know, stadium. You know, as Bob mentioned, but uh, you know, you, you're, you're real baby your forte is uh, the Cowboys ring of honor set so tell us a little bit about that yeah Joe I, I appreciate that and you, you've got a great set of stuff and, and I love your passion for the Seahawks and your larger collection I mean you've got some outstanding things Joe but um, so the ring of honor set was was actually sort of an epiphany in, in, in a weird way it, it led directly to me getting the Tom Landry fedora so um, in September of 2012 for Labor Day weekend I had all 12,000 of those cards in a box and they had survived nine moves in three states going all the way back to high school. Um, and I pulled them out that weekend, and I showed them to my daughters, and they loved them. And in particular, they liked the anecdotes and the caricatures on the back of some of the cards, which was interesting because that was always one of my favorite parts of the cards when I was a kid growing up too. And um, so we started to, to look into those. And I remember when I, was, when I was in high school, one of my goals was I wanted every single complete top football set from 1972 through 1988. And that was a, a goal I never realized. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go back and look at the 72s. And one thing led to another. I started collecting those. I went out to eBay. I learned about not only the cards, but I started finding out about graded cards. And I had 349 of the 351 cards in PSA 8 or higher for that whole set. And I was too short. And I remember sitting wow. – this was October of 2015. I was thinking to myself, man, I love these cards, but – I don't do anything with them. There's so many of them. They sit in a closet to keep them out of the light yeah. and protect them. Um, and there's just so many. It's, it's very difficult to really pull them out and enjoy them. And it's almost just me, right? I mean, it's, it's rare that I find uh, somebody here locally that has the same kind of interest in these things. And that about a week later, my company had an event out at AT&T Stadium. And when you walk into the stadium, if you look about halfway up on the inside of the perimeter, they have all the Ring of Honor players. And I remember thinking, no, I've got a bunch of these guys' cards already, including the rookies. And the 72 set's great for that, right? Because you have Rayfield Wright and Roger Staubach rookie in that set. Um, I had them both high grades, and I thought, you know, maybe what I'll do is just liquidate my 72 set, keep the Cowboys cards, because uh, that was a Super Bowl year for them, of course, and instead focus on just the Ring of Honor players. And so go, instead of having this big quantity set, focus instead on high-quality um, more expensive, but lower volume cards in the Ring of Honor players. And that's what I did. And it was that night I went and started looking and stumbled across an auction where I found the Tom Landry store that I ultimately ended up winning. Um, and then it's kind of a long story from there. But the, the rest of the story for the Ring of Honor cards, I, I think, Joe and Bob, you've seen it, but just for the people listening, I, I've always wanted to be able to share the cards in a way that was interesting for other people that aren't necessarily collectors. And I started dreaming up this notion of framing them in a way that made them feel more like pieces of art versus just a hobby that, you know, some middle-aged guy is doing that he should probably be doing in his parents' basement, right? 
Um, so it kind of takes the nerd factor out of it and make it more compelling. And the frames were born. Um, yeah, but it almost didn't happen because the first player I wanted to get done was Roger Staubach, and there were eight cards in his set, and I wanted the frame to be completely horizontal, not multiple rows, but all in one single row. I went to three different framers, all of whom said they couldn't make it work because of the dimensions and the matting, and I finally found somebody who was able to make that work. And once that happened, I was able to do the rest. But if I had not found her, we wouldn't be having the discussion about the set today. But let me pause. I don't want to go on and on about it, but it's really a special thing that I've been able to pull together here, I think, and the way that they're displayed is cool. And I absolutely love your passion with the Ring of Honor, guys. And what I love is you, you, you've gotten your daughter into it. I mean, the pictures you have up of, like, you getting Mel Renfro's signature uh, on it, uh, one of Randy White, uh, you know, your daughter's in there. Uh, so you're, you know, not only are you doing something really, really cool with your kids, but you're, you know, you're also bringing up future generations of collectors, hopefully. But really well done. The blue, the blue matting, the frames look amazing. And you've posted up a picture of how they look in your living room with that, you know, your big A-frame, you know, vaulted ceiling. It looks great. And you, you have done a good job turning them into artwork and just something where people walk in and say, wow, look at this. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the feedback, Joe. One other thing I'll say on it, too, a really interesting side benefit that I was unexpected is in each case when I've met one of the Ring of Honor players and I've had this for them to sign, it's actually given me something to talk to them about besides, oh, my gosh, I love you, right? And, yeah. you know, when I met with Roger Staubach, we got 20 minutes with him, and he asked a lot of questions about the cards. Just this last week, and I haven't even put this out on the website yet, um, on Saturday we got time with Bob Lilly, first player the Cowboys ever drafted, you know, number 26 in the NFL all-time greatest list. Um, on Sunday we got with Randy White, and not only did we get time with him, he asked me to make him one of these frame sets that we presented with the, the set we, we, we made for him. We had two hours with him, and the only reason it stopped is the coffee shop we were at closed. So it's really been an, an amazing thing personally for building memories and having something to talk about with some of my heroes besides just telling them that I love watching them play football. You know, it's been really cool. Yeah. That's a good point. Because uh, same thing, Steve Largent was signing autographs a couple of years ago up in Seattle, and I pulled my son out of school to take him up there. And instead of the normal stuff that he's seen every day, I had a custom poster made of every card he has in PSA 10. And, uh, you know, and I, but so I had a custom poster made just to, so it would be, I'm putting something in front of him he's never seen. And I brought an extra one from the sign just in case he's like, wow, that's cool. I'd be like, well, here, I brought one for you. Uh, wow. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we were in line for four hours, and they shut the door when we were about five away. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Well, no, so my son's first impression of Steve Larger was, uh, I got, that was, that was kind, of, kind of a dick thing to do, to shut the door. <laughs> 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 well, uh, we'll take another stab at this at a national. We can pay to get, you know, pay to get a, uh, you know, a, a number. So. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great, though. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I like your thinking there, Joe, because that's – that's exactly right, I mean, and, and that's the reaction I typically get when they see them is this isn't something they've seen before because it doesn't exist, right? This is something that we just yeah, yeah. made up, and my daughters have gotten into it, my wife, so it's been fun. Yeah. I, I, I just think that the personal aspect of it is just so cool, and, and, you know, to be able to talk to a former player like that and, you know, not ask the normal questions is, is just yeah. incredible, truly incredible. I, I definitely envy you and the, the ability you had to do that with uh, – Several players. Um, it, it's amazing, truly amazing. Yeah. And I also got to. Yeah. I do agree with uh, Joe. 
the way you presented it frame wise is just it's just so so um different and for lack of better better way of explaining it's it's almost non card like if you know what I mean. And you're saying it you know, you're trying to present it as artwork and I see it as just something you know, it's just you don't see. You you have no concept of it. You know what I mean? Until you actually and if you don't know anything about cards and you're looking at it for the first time, you're saying, Wow, this this could be a cool hobby or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, that's exactly right, Bob. I mean, and, and honestly, like this weekend, it was just like that. When we were at the uh, Dallas Card Show, you know, it's packed. Um, I mean, that show's really turned into something special. But we were there, and when we got in line to go get Bob Lloyd's signature, you know, some, I had it between two pieces of foam board um, just to protect it. Because, you know, when I, when I take these things in to get the players to sign them, I have to get out of the frame and remove the glass, so my framer helps me with that. But to keep it safe, put it between foam, well, as soon as we opened it up, I mean, it was it was like, you know, this the small group of people started to swarm um, because no one's seen anything quite like it. Now, it doesn't hurt that the cards are all high grade, but, again, it's it's just a compelling piece the way that it is. And, and, I, and again, I don't, I don't mean to brag about it at all. I just it, – it, it has achieved the effect I wanted, which is, to me, they're, they're really interesting to look at when they're laid out like this. And, um, yeah. and I find even on the site when, when other collectors put just like they, they have like a, a set or a collection they put on a table and they're together, even then it's really cool. But when you have it framed like this where it was professionally done and, you know, the cards appear to be floating inside of the, the, the little cutouts on the yeah. netting, it's it's just a different experience, and it really it it kind of takes the nerdiness out of it. And I hate to say that because I love the hobby, but I also recognize it's not for everybody. Um, but it's the, the players have had similar reactions. I mean, Bob Lilly stood up when we opened it up and showed it to him, and um, you know, and, and we've had that most of the time. Staubach did kind of the same thing. His son actually gigged out on it quite a bit, but it's uh, that's been uh, you know a really interesting effect, and, it, and it's worked. I mean, I think others have been able to enjoy it without feeling like they're walking into somebody else's, you know, kind of obscure hobby. Right, right. Unbelievable. Right. What What are the top six items in your collection, and if you can describe them uh, to our audience? Okay, yeah, well, I'm happy to. Most people are surprised it's not my Tom Landry fedora, although it's, it's number two on my list. Um, my all-time prized possession is my Walter Payton rookie card. It's not a particularly high grade card. The centering's not perfect. It's it's got some it's got a crease in it. But when I was twelve years old I paid fifteen dollars for that card. Um there was a company that made a price guide that they sold at B. Dalton booksellers and I bought it every year and I would always comb through the prices. Well on the back of it there was a company out of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio that advertised it was called Sports Cards of Ohio and they mm-hmm. advertised that they had cards and, and you you know, it was in those days, I mean this is the eighties, you, you mailed stuff in and I paid $15 for that card with money that I made from my paper route. And, you know, so it was money that I earned, which was a big deal, um, obviously. And it was something that I did with my brother. So there's a lot of, you know, memories tied up with this thing. So it certainly doesn't have the biggest monetary value, but it's got the most symbolic value to me. And uh, it sits on my desk in a case, and it's there every day, and it's really cool. My kids, of course, have seen it, and they love it. Um, the that, second that was the first card. Is, that was your first card ever, you said, Brian? No, it was the first card I really spent. You know, fifteen dollars is a lot of money to me when I was twelve. So it was not the first card I ever owned, but it was the first card I ever bought that was really kind of a high grade thing that didn't come from just or not high grade, but a high quality card or player that didn't I didn't pull out of a wax pack. Uh, what was that like? Nineteen eighty four, eighty five. You bought it seventy six. 
Oh, yeah, I bought this. So this would have been 1983 I bought that card. Okay, because um, I was going to say, Peyton, the, Peyton's card didn't start really moving until like 82, 83. And, uh, wow, that's actually a lot of money at that time for that yeah, card. Yeah, it was. In that condition. It, that was interesting. Yeah, wow. exactly. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was a, it was a special buy. That's my that's my that is my prized possession of all the things that I own. What do you think it would grade, Brian? Oh, I had it sent to PSA. I graded a four. <laughs> well, well, our, I mean, our, and some of that was I I had I didn't protect it the right way when I was a kid. I had a a friend of mine had made a, a custom frame for me, um, and unfortunately, the the plexiglass that was over the the cards. Um, it had a maker's mark on the back of it that was embossed in a plastic, and that made a crease into the to the card itself that I never oh, noticed boy. when I when I put it there. Well, so it's it's not as bad as it sounds. It would have been I, my bet is it would have been a, a probably a six if I hadn't had that that crease put in it from that. I was going to yeah. say it's probably and, he, he probably sold it as X for fifteen dollars or, or whatever plus the shipping <laughs> for fifteen dollars. Wow, amazing! And, All right, go ahead. For, for yeah. some reason. I'll, for some reason, all of our childhood cards that we carried around in our lunch pail and uh, you know put rubber bands around always you know grade lower than we expected them to. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and we're telling everybody they're meant, right? Yeah. So what else you got? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, so after that, so my Tom Landry fedora, and and of course there, there's a few things about it. I mean, one is, I mean, you, you, to me the. It's still ridiculous to me that I even have this, right? I mean, we're talking about – I mean, forget it. This is this is something that transcends the Cowboys. This is an NFL iconic piece of memorabilia in general, and you don't have to appreciate the Cowboys at all to get the significance of this, right? There are very few people that have artifacts that – so identify with them and you know I, my kids at the time that i've won this you know they were they were much younger and uh so and of course tom lander was had passed before either of them were born so they didn't really understand but when you drive around and i took them down by texas stadium i mean you literally drive down the tom landry highway and they've got the green you know highway sign and it's got the fedora on it mm-hmm. and when they rebuilt 30 right in front of the stadium they they literally in the concrete on the side of the embankment they 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 etched out the fedora in the side of the the concrete. I mean it's a, it's on his thinking tombstone. Um, so it's a big deal, and to, to even possess it is crazy. Um, what's even crazier is of course that it's on loan to the Cowboys, and, and you know now it's on display. So every every you know they've got that closed right now for COVID, but when it was open and people were doing the tours, I, I bet once every six or seven months I would get an email or a text from a friend saying, hey, man, I'm hitting the stadium. It's got this thing out here. Is this yours? Because not a lot of people wow. know I have it, and my name's on the bottom of it. But that is the second most important item in my, uh, in my collection. Wow. And, Brian, All these what's, the provenance? what's the provenance of that, uh, of that fedora? How, yeah. Oh, that's a great question, Joe. So – he 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 donated that to a church organization in the early 1980s, and the story that I got went from the from the auction house was uh, the man that won it um, had kept it until he died, and when he passed, his son decided that he wanted to sell it, hence it went to auction. Now in those days, they didn't really have a lot of documentation, but you know many people that know a lot about Tom Landry know about his faith. Um, he was one of the founders of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the money and the the hat was mm-hmm. donated to raise money for FCA, um, which of course is a huge organization and still around today. A lot of kids are a part of that. Um, so you know, my faith is a big deal to me too. So that that connection actually is 
is a really big part of, of what I enjoy about having this. But that's that's a story. So there was only one owner after Landry, and then it got to me. And when the Cowboys got it, we we you know they they did the research and validated it was legit. So I, I have a couple of sources now uh, to confirm the, the authenticity of it. And, and how many authentic provenance, you know, confirmed Tom Landry fedoras are there? I mean, how rare is this? I, I, because I mean, how many hats does you know did he own? I guess would be the question. So there's a few. I don't know the total number to be honest with you, but I do. I know of at least four. Um, you know, because there, there's another guy here in Dallas that um, is also a serious collector. He has the Tom Landry fedora that he was wearing during the Hail Mary game, and he's got one other one. Um, and then I was at an event back in November where the Landry family has donated a bunch of his stuff to um, Fair Park, which is where the Cotton Bowl is, and they have a section set up out there now that's dedicated to Tom Landry, and there was a hat there, again, game worn. But he, he had a bunch. Um, he, there was a company in New York called Dobbs that made the hats for him, um, and if you look on the inside of the hat that I've got, it's it's got the Dobbs name embossed on inside the 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 little ribbon that goes on the inside of the hat, and it actually says "Made especially for Tom Landry," which is cool, and not a surprise because I'm, I'm sure they knew he was who the customer was, and they did some of those kinds of things. But there are more, but I don't know the number, Joe. Whatever it is, it's cool. I mean, uh, you know, I would imagine he's like a lot of people; he gets one or two hats that are comfortable that fit in well and that, that's all she wrote you know yeah exactly and, you know fashion and some times change i mean he started coaching in 1960 and he retired in 88 so it's not a surprise they would have had a few during that span yeah yeah but it's not like the houndstooth one that you know bear bryant had right which was it was you know i'm not sure if it was just one that bear bryant had he might have had multiple of the same one but he had the same pattern for his landry's yeah. patterns mm-hmm. changed but how iconic i mean Bob and I were talking about this months ago when, you know, the Green Bay Packers had that, you know, history, you know, YouTube, you know, video, you know, thing they put together. You you think about the silhouette of Lombardi walking out of the tunnel and just that silhouette is all you need to see to, uh, to know it's Lombardi. There's the same, there's this profile of Landry scanning and this, and he, he kind of turns his head and, and all you see is his, you know, silhouette as it's, you know, you know, as the sun is behind him and it kind of blacks out the camera and it's just his profile with that, you know, with the fedora on and it's Landry. It's, you know, unmistakably Landry. Uh, how many, how many, how many men are there? How many players where all you have to do is see their silhouette and you recognize who it is. It's, it's, it's iconic. Like you said, yeah, it's it, not it just is. a Cowboys NFL. Yeah. Which is all the more reason why it, it you know, it was in my house for, about nine months before the Cowboys um, took it on loan, but it always felt strange having it there. Not because I didn't like it; it was just I kept thinking, "This doesn't feel like it belongs here." You know what I mean? It was just it was it was bigger than someone's living room. <laughs> That's the way I felt about it. <laughs> Even though you do have a pretty wow. impressive living room. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's I mean, for a Cowboys person, I I always my my wife is the one that keeps me in check. I've told her many times I don't want it to feel when someone comes over a house, like what have I just stepped into? Right. Cause it, you've seen, it's, it's almost like if you ever watched the show orders, not quite to that extreme, but it's more in that end of the continuum. I, I've, I've tried to avoid it where let's keep high quality pieces that feel like art that look like we're Cowboys fans without it feeling so obnoxious that someone's like, man, these people have problems. Yeah, you're right. It is a fine line between being obnoxious Cowboys fan and, and class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to straddle it. 
I wouldn't well, so be there's only a few other things I'll rattle off here. I mean, if you guys are interested. So I've got, yeah. um, we talked about the Ring of Honor frame sets. There's now, there's actually 19 of those. Um, I'm waiting on PSA to give me the cards back for the last three. I'm, I'm down to just a few. And, and for Darren Woodson and Larry Allen, it's, it's problematic because, I, you know, they don't, most of their cards were either not collected at all because Larry Allen was an offensive lineman and nobody collects those except for weird people like me. And, Darren Woodson played a lot of his career during the junk wax era in the 90s, and there were so many sets that if you don't look at his rookie card, there just aren't any great graded cards post-1992 when he played. So I've really, I'm really at PSA's mercy to get those finished, to get them into my set. Um, the other two, there's three other items that I think are cool, and I'm just trying to make sure we're thoughtful with time here. Um, I've got a set of lithographs that um, the Cowboys commissioned Merv Corning, who was, was an NFL official artist in the, in the early 80s. In 1984, for the 25th anniversary of the team, the Silver Year, they, uh, there were six members of the Ring of Honor, and they had an original set of paintings that Merv Corning did, and then they had 150 lithographs made of that that Merv actually signed. They're embossed, they're different, and they're special. They were sent out to um, some of the executives of the Cowboys, a few of the coaches, and a, and a, and a few um, related businesses that sponsor the Cowboys in various ways. I have set number 147. All but the Meredith were signed by the players. Of course, Meredith has passed, so I can't get that one signed now. But um, one of the cool stories, the Cowboys have been to my house three times, and one of the times they came here when they saw these things, there was a, a, a letter that came with the set that actually explains what it is, and, they, and I showed the letter to them, and they got really excited because there was another set up at the Cowboys headquarters they found in a warehouse, and they weren't sure on the backstory of the whole thing. Of course, just, you know, Jerry Jones didn't know the team when this was in place. And I don't know the whole story, but I solved the mystery for them. And it cleared up a dispute they were having with somebody who had made some sort of a donation to the Cowboys. So that was kind of cool. And, the, and they're, of course, they're just beautiful pieces. They're, they really are some nice pieces of art if you, if you look at them. And I think you guys have seen the pictures I've posted. Hmm. Oh, wow. So the last – Go ahead, I'm sorry. That's pretty cool for them to reach out to you to solve the mystery for you to you to catch it. That's that's saying something. Yeah, I'm I, well, I'm excited about it. And I, you know, how many people get to say they've had their their favorite team is is calling them and you've had a chance to go do some stuff? I mean, the best part about the fedora, well, not the best part, but one of the most interesting parts of the fedora is when I when I first got the uh, the communication going with the Cowboys. Um, they asked me to come up to Valley Ranch, their old headquarters, so they could look at it. You know, because they wanted to authenticate it, right? I mean, they weren't going to just take my word for it. Um, and I said, "Hey, no problem. Do you mind if I bring my my wife and my kids?" And like, no, that'd be great. So when you, when at Valley Ranch, they had a security gate before you could even get onto the property. And I rolled my window down when I got there, and I hit, before I said a word, the guard looked at me and goes, "Are you the guy that's here with the fedora?" I mean, the whole no. place knew we were coming. I mean, it was incredible. <laughs> Everybody knew we were coming. And we got a three-and-a-half-hour private tour of Valley Ranch. I got to meet a whole bunch of the executives and the staff. We got to go in the old locker room. I got to go into Tom Landry's old office. Um, it was an amazing experience. And then actually um, three days before they opened up the Star, their current headquarters, the players hadn't been in there. The media hadn't been in there. They had me come up to bring the, the fedora up there to give them possession of it for the loan. And they gave us a two-hour tour that day of everything. I mean, I saw everything there and before anybody else could get in. And, again, I kept telling my kids, you can't buy a ticket to go get this experience. Like, you can only come if you're invited. Yeah. And we got invited. And 
again, to get that kind of access, it's it's an unbelievable experience, and you just can't wow. put a price value on it, right? What do, you, wow. what do you carry that fedora in? Is that like a shoebox or just throw it on your dash? <laughs> that's a great no question, no Joe. No. I, I struggle with it. Um, so the contact I have with the Cowboys, he specializes in handling stuff like this. I mean, I brought it up there literally in a box, and I put it in a, um, a very, very large plastic bag. And he said, hey, that, that's probably not the right way to carry it. And he said, because those bags can have the wrong kinds of acid in them. Um, but he actually told me that that's the least threatening part. He said the most threat to that uh, surviving is actually light. Sunlight, So, yeah, yeah well, so they, they've got them in a, a special case up at the headquarters that's behind multiple layers of, of ultraviolet protected glass, and it's it's got a very dim light inside of it. So it's uh, they, they took great care of it. But, yeah, I don't know what else he put it in. I mean, I had a bust made for it. For my house, so there's a guy. My my brother-in-law, he re- he resigned recently, but he uh, he was an executive producer at Disney, and he had a guy in his staff that was a sculptor, and so I commissioned that guy. His name is Kenny. I commissioned Kenny to make me a bust of Tom Landry uh, that fit the hat. So we had the two together. They're not together right now because the the bust would not fit in the uh, the display case where the Cowboys have it right now, which is too bad because it's it's cool when they're together. Wow. Joe, what else? I think you're on four. What else you got? Are we... Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a good count. We're on four. So um, number five, I have I have all the Super Bowl tickets from each Super Bowl the Cowboys have won. They're all graded by PSA. So they've been encapsulated and saved. Um, hmm. The uh, You know, it's hard to find, and particularly the ones from the 70s, because, of course, you know, carrying the ticket was how you got into the game, right? That's how they knew that you were <laughs> your ticket was – not past the fence so somebody else could sneak in and, and get around the paying admission. So finding untorn tickets from 72 and 78 Super Bowls was, was very challenging. But it's a great set, and actually the way I've got them to where I'm going to have them, I have the, the, the team cards for the Cowboys for each of those seasons as well, and I have the programs from those Super Bowls. All but one are now signed by the MVP. Now the, the 78 one's a little tricky because wow. uh, it was there were two Super Bowl MVPs, right? You had Harvey Martin and Randy White. Um, I've not been able to find a lot of stuff that Harvey Martin has signed, but the 78 hmm. Super Bowl program, uh, I actually have gotten to know Randy. My next door neighbor runs a football camp that Randy White sponsors, and uh, he had me come out. Randy signed it. I actually was with Randy two days ago and got a couple hours with him because going back to the frame sets. When I met Randy that day and he saw my set of his frame cards, he said, man, that thing is cool. Could you make me one of those? Uh, we gave it to him on Sunday, and uh, he was excited. I mean, he spent so much time with us um, just telling us stories and, again, talking about the cards. Again, going back to my comment earlier, it's like the cards give you a reason to have something else to say besides, your man, you're a great football player. Um, you know, we've got a whole bunch of man. interesting things. You two will find this interesting. Ultimate, that is the ultimate compliment. For Randy, for Randy White to say, this is cool. Can I get one of these? That is the ultimate tip of the hat. Well, yeah, I agree with you, Joe. Mel Renfro's wife did the same thing. So we've, we've actually formed a relationship with the Renfro's um, through this process and have become friends with them. It feels like that's starting to happen with Randy because one of the things he said to me on uh, Sunday, you guys will appreciate this. He asked me if I was familiar with the NFL Hall of Fans. Okay. And – so I started telling him about Ray, and I said, yeah, I've got a friend who just won it. 
And he said, well, he said, the guy that started that whole program is a friend of mine. I know him really well. He said, you need to be in there next year. Um, so he's going to call this guy, and uh, he wants my contact information. And the other thing is I showed him a bust of Landry, and he told me a really interesting story. And I, to be thoughtful, Randy, in his privacy, I won't give you the whole story, but he wants a bust to, that, uh, as well, not necessarily of Tom, um, but I'm going to put him in touch with my guy. So it, it's, it's interesting how this is starting to you know, give me reasons to have interactions to – with, with some of my heroes. It's really cool. Wow. 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 Unbelievable. 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 What's all right, so rest? the bust is the last thing. We've talked about all six now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. We've we oh, got okay. about seven minutes. Got it. we gotta, we got to kind of move along here. So, you um, know, yeah. I, I, Brian, I, I got to say, I think you're one of the, you know, I'd say top three guests we've bumped up against the clock on. You know, this is fascinating. What, what's, your, what's your white whale? Everybody's got something that they scour eBay for that they're looking at auction houses for. What is it that you'd be like, oh, my, or, or is it something you don't know about maybe? You won't know until you know, I guess. Uh, I don't know that I have one, but I'll give you a, short, a very short list. Um, one of them is, is the 1972 – Staubach rookie card and a 10. And I know where both of them are now. Um, one of them is obvious because it's at the, uh, at the NFL Hall of Fame as part of the Hunt Cash Line collection. Yep. The other one's with a private mm-hmm. collector. I don't know his name, but I have back-channeled and, and gotten to him. Um, I made a pretty significant offer and did not get it last year. Um, one that I'll go to my grave saying, no regrets, right? Um, but to me, there's only two of those cards and a 10. So it's, it's, it's probably never going to happen. But uh, you know, you can dream. The, the second one is actually related to it. It's the 1973 Staubach and a 10. There's only one, and nobody knows where it is. Nobody's ever seen it. There's no pictures of it. There's no record of sales of it anywhere. Um, that set's got a few players like that. Rayfield Wright's got a, a pop one. Jim Plunkett's got a pop one. Uh, Leroy Jordan has a pop one. So a lot of the stars, there's only one 10, and nobody seems to know where any of those cards are. Um, a few of them are popular. The Rayfield's never been found either. Is the uh, second PSA 10, is that, uh, you know, elite cards? Is that Kevin Robeson's old old uh, card? The, the PSA 10. The one that's 10, the Hall 70, of Fame is, is the one he used to have. His elite cards, okay. I know he was yep. really big in that 72 set. So I, I, and I knew he had one of the, you know, he had one of the Terry Bradshaws and that. Okay, so Hunt Casterline bought his. All right. So good. That, so, that's I just, my understanding. I, again, I won't say with absolute certainty. I, I talked to Kevin two days after he sold it, and he told me the story. Um, so, and again, I want, I'm going to be thoughtful of his story too. But he he was a great collector, and he, you're right. He had a he had oh, an yeah. amazing set of seven. He had an amazing set of a lot of sets, but that '72 set was incredible. Yeah. No, I, wow. I I did a lot of trading back and forth, with Kevin. He and I were pretty good buds. Yeah, good guy. Wow. Yeah. So, so the only other thing would be in, in a list like that for white whale stuff is. You know, give me a Starbuck game used jersey that's authentic, right? Um, that you knew with a very high level of certainty that was was legitimate. Because um, there's a ton of forgeries out there, but something like that would be, you know, holy grail stuff. I actually a couple of years ago, Troy Aikman's supposedly Troy Aikman's game worn Super Bowl MVP jersey went up for auction. Um, he sent out a tweet saying it wasn't legit. I I was I thought about making a pass at it, but. You know, that, that's one of those things where I, I just, you know, unless the guy tells you, he, he, yeah, that was mine, how do you know? Hmm. Well, all right, we're, we're really pressed now down to four minutes. I'm going to skip up around a little here. 
Uh, Joe, move into what you were going to ask next, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, you, you've been telling us your, your collecting stories. I mean, you know, I've, I've got restraining orders against Steve Larger with me, but you, you're hanging out with Roger Staubach and, you know, and Randy White. Uh, this, this is pretty cool. So, I mean, other than the stories you've just told us that are absolutely amazing, what other, you know, cool collecting stories do you have you'd like to share? Um, well, just to be brief, I'll, I'll give you guys just a couple. I mean, one is, you know, the, the, the hobbies actually introduced me to a lot of people. So, you know, one of my closest friends now is Steve, another member of our BFC group. Um, Steve and I met because he reached out to me through the PSA registry to try to get me to sell him, sell my cards, and he was he was direct but not aggressive. It was it was great, and we formed a nice friendship out of that. Um, you know, I, I I've had I've met some other collectors that don't necessarily collect the same things I do. But I, last year I, I completed a a trade with a guy who has an amazing set, mostly of baseball, but really some really cool 1950s and 1960s football cards as well. Uh, but it took 482 days to get that trade done. Um, and I'll spare you the back and forth, but just, you know, collectors are interesting people. We all are. And uh, that was no no exception. But probably my favorite collecting story, I, I, I currently have the number one PSA set for Roger Staubach's rookie, or cards. And it's there are eight cards in that set. My goal when I started collecting it was to be in the top five. Um, and I don't get too hung up on where I am. And number one, number two, I mean, there, there's, yeah, it's nice to have it, but um, I never, I honestly just never thought I would see some of the cards because a few of them, you know, we already talked about the 72 and 73, they're pop two and pop one. The 74 is a pop three. The 77 the pop five. At the time I won mine, it was a 74, but I now have six of the eight and a 10. And what's cool is my, my thinking on it changed in October of 2018. Suddenly, I, I, in, in, a, in, a, in about a week span, I ended up getting the 78 and the 77 and a 10. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And then 90 days later, the only other two I didn't have in a 10 both popped up. Uh, you know, the 74, uh, which is, again, that's the pop three, and then a 76 did. And I, and I won both of them. So in, in about 90 days, I went from having, you know, a really nice, very, very high-graded set to I suddenly had the number one set of all time. And... Um, it's really unbelievable. And the fact that Rogers held it, he has signed it. You know, I had a chance to meet him. We got a great story. It, I mean, that whole thing is just, you know, that's lifelong memory stuff right there, not only for me, but for my family as well. Okay. Brian, we're down 35 seconds in 35 <laughs> seconds or less. Any advice for beginning collectors? Yes, I have two pieces of advice. One is um, network. It's one of the best things about this hobby is the people it's, in many ways more interesting than, than the stuff you get. The second is be really diligent in documenting everything you get, how much you paid, where you got it, what date you got it, and keep it organized. If something ever happens mm. to you, I'm dealing with this right now with another collector where his, her brother died. He's got probably a million-dollar collection. She has no idea what to do at all. Um, so those are my two big pieces of advice. That's, that's good advice. Brian, we could have talked for about five hours tonight. Um, <laughs> an incredible collection. Thank you for being on. And we're we're literally out of time. Joe, five seconds, two minute warning. Anything? I literally, I can I can think of one other person we bumped up. I ran out of time on. So what a great conversation. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank I you really very much it. for being. And again, if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Grace Magazine, what are you waiting for? GridironGraceMagazine.com. We'll be back next week with another show. Thanks for being. Thanks for listening.
and <laughs> see you soon.